this situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with Jeremy's Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. Best of luck to Tony La Russa as he uh, takes a little bit of a leave of absence. He's going to have, uh, he's got some sort of medical thing going on. The 77-year-old 70, Hall of Fame manager has been under a lot of scrutiny since really the day that he was hired by owner Jerry Reinsdorf and the Chicago White Sox. Now, the circumstances of his hiring were a little bit odd, and I'll admit that. Rick Renteria, I don't think, did a terrible job. Uh, Reinsdorf, as the owner, really felt that the team was uh, a manager away. A uh, quote that I've used a couple different times on this show, but uh, most importantly, he uh, needed to, in his own mind, right a wrong when it came to LaRusse's firing in 1986. And that's one small element of this whole discussion as I bring up Tony LaRusse right now, because uh, Reinsdorf was the owner back then. And the decision was made by Hawk Harrelson, a longtime broadcaster who at that point was the general manager of the White Sox, to fire, fire Tony Larusa. He then took over the Oakland Athletics, 88, 89, 93 straight AL pennants, culminating with an 89 World Series championship. And of course, a couple more World Series championships with the St. Louis Cardinals. And Tony Larusa is on to the Hall of Fame. Now, the easiest and I believe laziest take that has been out there is. The criticism against Larusa for his old school ways and a manager that's in his mid to late 70s and probably closer to late, as he's 77 right now, cannot manage a Major League Baseball team right now. If you wanted to bank yourself or kind of sit and weigh that take as being part of your narrative, it doesn't look too bad now because the White Sox are a couple games under 500. A team that has a lot more talent than their record. A team that was expected to really be the only team that should come out of the American League Central. There's the Twins, there's the Indians. The Indians, uh, a young team who always has had good pitching, is playing very good baseball and I think is going to win that division right now. But the Twins, with the acquisition of Carlos Correa, and don't underestimate the acquisition of Correa, and the correlation between the success of that and the Minnesota Twins. Now, you know, the, it's so easy to just beat up La Russa. And, that, and he's taken a lot of heat, and it kind of bothers me. Not just that he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's an absolute top five manager to ever be behind a bench. But it, once again, is a little bit of a battle between the old school and the new school. And the assumption that if you are old school and you have um, tendencies to do things that were done 30 years ago, there's no way they could work in a game of baseball right now. And I think that is absolutely false. If you look at some of the success, whether you go to the 2021 Atlanta Braves, who won the World Series championship with a non-conventional manager in Brian Snicker, who used his gut a lot more than he used the analytics, and Mike Schilt, who was let go at the end of last season by the St. Louis Cardinals, led the team to 17 consecutive victories 
with an old school approach and basically lost his job when he stood up to the front office of the Cardinals and said, we won 17 games in a row because I did it my way. I didn't follow your numbers. I didn't follow all the analytics. We understand that there has to be some sort of balance of playing the game of baseball and using the numbers that are put out there to aid us, just like anything else. Statistics, uh, video, anything that you're able to find should be used as a tool. Shouldn't be the only way you do things. And Tony LaRussa and the struggles of the Chicago White Sox as a LaRussa supporter don't put me in the best position, but I still support Tony LaRussa, wish him best in his recoveries and hope at some point he gets to manage the Chicago White Sox this season. If not, I expect him to be back next year because he was brought in by the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. So one of LaRussa's former players, Albert Pujols, is in a very interesting spot as he um, has a chance, a reasonable chance, to get to 700 home runs before his career ends this year. He announced at the beginning of the year he's going to retire, and recently he's been asked about it as he's gotten closer and closer to 700. I don't think he's going to waver and change his mind. Right now, he has hit 694 home runs. That leaves him six away with about an entire month of baseball to go. Can he do it? Absolutely. There's been many times over the course of Albert Pujols' career, I believe it's over 30 times, he has hit more than six or more home runs in a month, including August of this year, which has gotten him to the 15 that he's at right now. And he's sitting in a not too shabby, 269, 342, 515 slash, uh, slash line with an 858 OPS, which, yes, he's played in uh, you know maybe about two-thirds of the games. He's not playing every day anymore. But that 858 OPS is the highest that he has had in a season since 2022. I'm sorry, 2012, when he played for the Los Angeles Angels. And by the way, that was his first season there. And he had a steady decline throughout the rest of his time uh, down there, culminating with his release from the Angels last year and joining the Dodgers, where he had a little bit of a boost um, as he became more of a part-time player. This year for the Cardinals, he's been good. He's playing predominantly against left-hand pitchers. Is there enough left-hand pitchers to um, throw six more home runs so Pujols could get to 700? I'd love to see it. I know a lot of people in baseball would love to see it. But here's, here's going to be the issue. How close does he end up when he ends up calling it quits? Now listen, he said, hey, it's just a number. Yeah, it doesn't mean any more to him. He's had a great career. He's grateful of it. Obviously, his place as he's uh, going to be etched in history is always going to be there. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, 3,300 hits, uh, almost 2,200 runs batted in. If he could drive in nine more runs, he'll get to 2,200, which is insane. What a, what a phenomenal career. Alex Rodriguez finished his career with 696 home runs and probably in a more, more bizarre type of scenario where the Yankees kind of pulled the plug on him. The Yankees made the decision. I wonder how much Bud Selig had uh, an input in it to try to keep A-Rod from getting the 700 home runs. Pujols isn't going to have anybody get in his way but himself. Let's say he hits... Three more home runs, and is sitting at 697. Let's say he hits four. Is that 698? Five. Last day of the season, he's sitting there on 699. 
and he doesn't get to 700? Can he come back in a place where he's adored in St. Louis for a little bit of a cameo in 2023 just to hit one more bomb and walk away? I'm not going to rule that out, regardless of what Hall says. Now, if he goes out there and he hits his 700 home runs, all this point is mute. But I would bet on Pujols, if he's sitting there at 698 or 699, would be welcome back, number one, by St. Louis next year. And number two, I think he might take him up on the offer to just hit two home runs and ride off into the sunset. Next thing I wanted to talk about, the Baltimore Orioles. This is an easy team to kind of root for. A team that, obviously, the expectations were maybe they were another year or two away. Now, to say they were a year away, I think, would be uh, bloody optimistic. Um, The Baltimore Orioles still have a lot of talent in their minor league system. Um, As of the start of this season, catcher Adley Rutschman was not up at the major league level yet. They had some good players. No doubt, Cedric Mullins had a breakout season last year. Santander... Mountcastle, and you look at some of the arms they had. Jorge Lopez was really good in that back of the bullpen this year before he was traded to the Minnesota Twins. Felix Bautista really looks like one of the up-and-coming closers in Major League Baseball. Cianel Perez, Dylan Tate, they've done a really good job in regards to getting the most out of the players they got. Um, Some of the top pitchers in their farm system right now aren't necessarily up. A guy like Jordan Lyles, who was supposed to be brought there to eat up innings, has done more than that. He really has been there, unequivocal number one. He's going to go out there and make every single start. He's been everything they could have asked for. And how about a guy in Austin Voth, who had a, had a lot of uh, expectations with the Washington Nationals, where he spent a handful of seasons, was let go this year, and after some... Really, a couple really rough years with the Nationals, particularly the last two, when the Nationals weren't playing for anything, comes over to the Baltimore Orioles and has really stabilized their rotation. His 12 starts, he's pitching to a sub-3 ERA. And my question with the Orioles is that is this simple. Do they have enough to overtake the Toronto Blue Jays, who are only two games behind, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are there four games behind. And you look at the Seattle Mariners, who are, what, three and a half games ahead of the Baltimore Orioles? To me, I, I, I think the easiest answer would be that it's going to be hard to do. Hard because I still think to this moment that the Orioles are playing over their heads. Now, if no teams are going to go out there and assert themselves... And I look at the Texas Rangers, I look at the Los Angeles Angels, I look at the before-mentioned Chicago White Sox, I look at the Boston Red Sox, all teams with a lot of talent that for whatever reason, now they're not going to admit it, but the impression I get is they don't want it this year. They have a lot more talent than their record would say that they have, and they have not gone out there and got it this year. So at the expense of the Red Sox and the White Sox and the, the Rangers and the Angels, There's a team like the Baltimore Orioles that wants it. And I give them credit for that. And the addition of Rushman has made a huge difference on that team. Sometimes you bring in a young player, and that young player kind of operates by themselves. Fernando Tatis with the San Diego Padres is a prime example. Great 
talent, star, quality, polarizing figure, but was one player out of 25 as opposed to being part of the whole 25. Adley Rushman's been different. He's come there as a leader. And it, it's not that I'm comparing players, but I like talking about the impact that Tom Seaver had when he came up with the New York Mets in 1967. The Mets, to that point, were the laughable and, in some cases, lovable losers of Major League Baseball. Team that was going to go out there and was going to be in 8th, ninth, or 10th place in the National League every year. Tom Seaver didn't have that mentality. Tom Seaver would not stand for that mentality. He came in there and said, listen, I'm a winner, and I'm not going to play for a group of losers. We're either going to all become winners together or whatever. And Tom Seaver made that type of impact on the New York Mets, obviously culminating with a World Series championship in 1969. I see something similar, but different, of course. I'm not saying Adley Rutschman is Tom Seaver. I'm not saying that he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he's going to have anywhere near the impact that Tom Seaver had on the sport. But I think the turning point in the Baltimore Orioles going from being a winner to a loser, a loser to a winner, Obviously, this is a team that's had prominence before. Hasn't been in the playoffs since 2014, but has had some good quality teams that have made runs in the playoffs before. But they haven't been a good team for a while. Since 2018, they've been on a rebuild. The turning point in their rebuild is the call-up of Adley Rushman, and you've seen it from a performance standpoint and how he has led that team and how that team has performed since he's come up to the major league level. And speaking of turning points in a franchise, the Mets made some wise moves this offseason. Obviously, the signing of Max Scherzer was the biggest move. They added a couple other players, but to me, I look at the turning point in the Mets going from being a, I don't know, maybe a borderline playoff team to a no-doubt playoff team and potential winner of the National League East, which I still think they could win or up three games at this moment on the Atlanta Braves. I think a lot of it's going to come down to a three-game series at the end of September in Atlanta. But the turning point in the Mets becoming, going from being that meh team, that team that was in the middle, that maybe could compete for a wild card spot, can win a division if nobody else is competing, was the acquisition of Starling Marte. And there's players in baseball that you see that are in a lineup Obviously, the Mets have Lindor. They have Pete Alonso. They have some other really good players in that lineup. But that they became a team when they added Starling Marte. Starling Marte is going to be a you know he's a two ninety to three hundred hitter. He's going to put the ball in play a lot. He's going to drive the ball to all parts of the field. He has tremendous speed, and has played very good defense in right field, a position he's never played before. But if you're going to ask me the difference between the Mets last year, who were 77 and 85, led the National League East for 103 days before the Braves took over, and the team right now, and it's Starling Marte. Listen, Scherzer's been great. Mark Hanna's been very good. Uh, Lindor has had a, a tremendously better season this year than last year. Brandon Nimmo's been solid. Jeff McNeil's hitting 320. There's a lot of things you can point to 
and reasons you could state why the Mets are where they are right now. But they wouldn't be here without Stalling Marte. And that's one player that I think is more indispensable on that roster than anybody else. So we're going to close it with a little Aaron Judge talk. And there's no reason that Aaron Judge doesn't deserve credit for the season he's had. Certainly coming at the most opportune time, right? He's going he's to be a free agent at the end of the year. How many home runs is he going to end up hitting? He, to me, is the no-doubt front runner for the MVP in the American League. Now listen, Shohei Otani won the MVP last year. The fact that Otani pitches and hits is a discussion that I think is interesting because nobody else in baseball does it. And we could keep talking about Otani. It doesn't automatically make him the MVP each year. At some point, you got to factor in the performance of the team. Shohei Otani is a great player. One of the funner, more fun players to watch in Major League Baseball. He hasn't made the Angels any better. The Angels could be right where they are in the standings without him. I don't like that argument, so I back off of it. But as we head into the month of September, one of the more interesting tallies is going to be centered around the amount of home runs that Aaron Judge hits. Can he hit 60? Can he hit 62? And 62 is significant. Not significant for the anti-steroids people who I feel don't respect the game for the entertainment value that it brings. Expect the game to be perfect. Um, expect so many flaws that exist that are so visible to all our eyes, including supplements that are being used in the game today. Are they legal? Are they not legal? Has the chemist developed a chemical that can enhance your performance that is undetectable on a drug test? Or is it a drug that hasn't been suspended yet that players are using? These are all possibilities when it comes to the anti-steroid argument. And I said before that I have one of the strongest pro-steroid arguments that exist in baseball centered around the fact that baseball is entertainment. And it absolutely is. But you can't legislate exactly what's going into these players' bodies. And when you go back to the Babe Ruth discussion, that Babe Ruth couldn't hit an Adam Adovino slider because nobody threw a slider in 1925. Babe Ruth also didn't have the uh, benefit of any sort of weight training. Uh, he didn't have a personal trainer. He didn't put any chemical in his system. And you want to say there's clean chemicals and dirty chemicals? It's just a matter of opinion. Any chemical put into your body with the intent to enhance performance is going to do just that. And we could talk about the different levels of how um, a chemical could be put in somebody's system to make your head grow, your eyesight get better, and hit the ball farther. It's all stuff that's happening, but it's just legal. So I'm not going to get into the all-time home run discussion. Aaron Judge has a chance to hit more home runs than any player in American League history. Roger Maris did that in 1961. Babe Ruth hit 60 in 1927. But looking back, it's only fair, especially when we're talking about somebody that did not get into the Hall of Fame that they deserve. Barry Bonds should be acknowledged as the home run king that he is. Nobody in the history of baseball has ever hit 73 home runs in a season. 
Nobody in baseball history has ever hit 762 career home runs. Now, somebody might beat it someday, and I'm rooting for Aaron Judge. I hope he goes out there. I hope he can chase 70. I would love to see, for the first time since 2001, a player hit well into the 60s in regards to home runs. And think about it. In the history of Major League Baseball, only Babe Ruth in 1927 with 60, Maris in 61 with 61, uh, Sammy Sosa, I think, hit, what, 63, 65, and 66. Um, hit 66 in 98. Hit 63 in 99. And 65 in 2001. McGuire, of course, hitting 70 in 98. And 66 in 99. And then Barry Bonds hitting the 73 in 2001. That's really the, the echelon that Aaron Judge is trying to get himself into. And I find it so fascinating because it's on a contract year. And it's going to be interesting as we close off the show today how much Aaron Judge is going to be able to get on the open market. He's going to test it. There's talk that Steve Cohen might give him a blank check. There might be other teams, whether it's the Giants the Dodgers, from a need standpoint, might not necessarily need them, but you know who knows. I like the Phillies and the Cubs to just be in the discussion. Now the Phillies got a little bit of a problem because they got a logjam with DH outfielders. Assuming Bryce Harper is going to play right field, yeah, you got Schwarber and Castellanos. One of them are going to be in left field. The other is going to be DH. And do you really have room for Aaron Judge? But I mean, I think you make room for Aaron Judge if you can bring him in. Maybe you sign Judge and you, you trade either Castellanos or Schwarber. The Cubs are going to look to try to get back to relevance. Um, certainly have some money left on the table. So I think there's going to be teams that are going to be battling with the Yankees. And the Yankees, as I've said before, have been the team that seems to have the deepest pockets in baseball. And I don't think they necessarily do anymore. And maybe it's by choice. Some people have said that they've chosen to spend less. It's not that they have less money to spend. The owner, Hal Steinbrenner, chooses to spend his money differently than his father and his brother. Obviously. But there's so much more to Aaron Judge and his value to the brand of the Yankees that it will make so much sense for the Yankees to bring him back. And they're in a spot where I'll tell you, if they get the free agency and it becomes a bidding war, and they decide at some point that the amount of money that he's going to get from another team is too much for them to match, they could be making a very serious mistake. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you, I don't know, who knows. It's been almost a month since I did a show before, and I... I know nobody friggin' missed me. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on in my life. Now they come out. 
as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a there are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.